Welcome to Deprogram, the Progressive Program, a primer to progressivism, history, strategy, rules, and application. To continue to deprogram, we'll begin Chapter 3, 20th Century Progressive Founders, Clower and Piven. In 1966, Clower and Piven, Columbia University sociologists and political activists, devised a plan to overload the welfare system to collapse local governments and force a guaranteed annual income. They felt full enrollment of eligible welfare recipients would disrupt welfare agencies and cause fiscal disruption to local and state governments. They also felt that this would deepen the existing resentment among the remaining white middle class, the working class ethnic groups, and the growing minority poor. The organized protesters who rioted and enrolled in welfare programs at an alarming rate. They also recruited the Black Panthers, a violent radical racial group, to help implement their program. The Black Panthers intimidated the welfare agencies to accept more welfare recipients, which expanded their roles. The biggest impact was in New York City, where roughly one-third of the adult population enrolled in welfare programs, causing the city to declare bankruptcy in 1975. The city's political infrastructure crumbled, which almost brought down the entire state. The New York crash illustrated that Clower and Piven's basic theories were correct and sparked a reform movement demanding a total overhaul of the welfare system. The result was the Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Reconciliation Act of 1996, which tightened restrictions for welfare eligibility and increased work requirements. The goal was a federal safety net for the unemployed, but not something that could be used to hold the poor in generational cycles of poverty. When President Bill Clinton signed the bill into law, Clower and Piven were standing in attendance as his personal guest. SEIU's former president, Wade Rathke, was a disciple of Clower and Piven. Rathke and the SEIU were instrumental in turning the red state of Nevada into a blue state. Following in Clower and Piven's footsteps, Rathke founded the Acorn Organization, which was later indicted for voter fraud in Nevada. Prior to the indictment, Acorn, a strong-arm organization, joined forces with a ruling elite. Representative Barney Frank, Senator Chris Dodd, Fannie Mae, the DNC, and the DNC Finance Committee that oversaw U.S. banks. Andrew Cuomo, now Democratic Governor of New York with an eye on the presidency, was then HUD Director. Pressure from newly passed DNC banking laws, ACORN protests, Cuomo and Fannie Mae were instrumental in forcing local banks to give risky no-doc loans to indigents and illegal immigrants. Later, James Johnson and Franklin Raines, two prominent Democratic politicians, former Wall Street executives, and Fannie Mae CEOs, offered cheap bond rates to incentivize Wall Street to buy into the progressive's no-doc mortgage scam. Turning lemons into lemonade, they bundled and sold subprime mortgages. The party continued until the loan holders, indigents and illegal immigrants, could no longer roll the loans over and default it. Following the Clower and Piven strategy, the progressive ruling elite were largely responsible for the housing and financial meltdown that recently plunged our country into the Great Recession of 2008. Wall Street is in bed with the progressives, not with the Republicans, as evidenced by the fact that more than 85% of Wall Street's campaign contributions are made to the Democratic Party. The progressive media coalition, of course, deflected attention from the socialist policies that caused the crash and blame Wall Street, capitalism, and conservatives. 
and true progressive projection, Representative Barney Frank and Senator Chris Dodd, key players of the financial meltdown, wrote the Frank Dodd Bill, punishing Americans, local banks, and their consumers who had nothing to do with the meltdown. Unpunished and unmolested by the media, Frank and Dodd waited for the appropriate moment to fade from the scene, never to be heard from again. Rathke left SEIU to become president of the International Communist Party and later helped organize anti-Trump riots before, during, and after President Trump's inauguration. Attempting a fait complete, the progressives are now using the Clower and Piven strategy by importing both legal and illegal welfare recipients with the goal of overwhelming our system. Illegal immigrants invading our country are overwhelming our schools, welfare systems, hospitals, law enforcement, and other services in a planned coup to bring down our country. The current migrant caravans are bringing thousands of poor, unskilled migrants into the U.S. who, upon their arrival, need health care, education, housing, food, clothing, and other basic needs, all of which cost taxpayer money. Almost all arrive with nothing except the clothes on their backs. Unskilled, the ones that don't immediately go on welfare, take the jobs of poor and low-skilled U.S. workers, forcing them on welfare. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 54% of legal and 70% of illegal Hispanics are on welfare. Hispanics are two times more likely to use Medicaid or food stamps than Native Americans. In California, 70% of all non-citizens are on some form of welfare. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 64% of federal arrests and 43% of federal prosecutions were of non-citizens. Illegals committed 25,000 of the 67,000 murders between 2005 and 2008. The Clower and Piven four-step strategy is, one, overwhelm the system by unsustainable growth in the welfare state, two, have chaos ensue, three, take control in the chaos, and four, implement socialism and communism through government force. This is a conscious effort by the progressive ruling elite to help accelerate the collapse of our system so they can usher in their elite brand of socialism. The Clower and Piven strategy creates power for the global corporate elites and misery for the rest of Americans. The global corporate elites and their families will continue to be safe, prosperous, and secure in their communities and schools far from the hordes of the third world immigrants. The second activist revered by the progressives is Saul Alinsky. Born in Chicago, Illinois in 1909, Saul Alinsky was an archaeology major who attended the University of Chicago. An avowed communist, he worked for the Congressional Industrial Organization, CIO, now the AFL-CIO Union. As a community organizer, he was dedicated to developing hard-nosed tactics that implemented communism from within the American system. His 1971 book, Rules for Radicals, takes the School of Frankfurt's stale archaic principles, refreshes, organizes, and modernizes them into easy-to-use guidelines for radical Marxists. Barack Obama taught Rules for Radicals courses as an instructor at the University of Chicago. The Progressive Media Coalition calls Trump a Russian agent. Does this mean Obama was a Marxist agent? Alinsky, like the progressives, believes the best method to incite a revolution is to create malcontent, making happy people unhappy. For example, the world is ending. America is racist. Income inequality. Then he can unite his ideas under the rubric of hope and change, 
Sound familiar? Alinsky believes the ends justify the means. Don't worry about the methodology, just do what you must do to win. As Stalin says, you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet. Alinsky said, winners write history, so you better be a winner. To Alinsky, politics and life is war, and the alternative to a corrupt victory is to go home defeated with my ethical hymen intact. Andrew Breitbart, in his book Righteous Indignation, while discussing the attributes Alinsky looks for in a community organizer, wrote, His bottom line is plain and unvarnished. Kick ass and then pretend you were going to do the moral thing. Lie, cheat, and steal for victory. If you must, lie to win, then lie to win, then lie about your lie. If you must win with brutality, then be brutal and win, and then rewrite history about your brutality. Always cloak your goals in widely agreed-upon American terms that people buy into, things like the Declaration of Independence or the Common Welfare Provision of the Constitution. Sure, you may be standing for none of those things, but that doesn't matter. Victory is what matters. It's the Chicago way. To get Marxists elected, Alinsky believed you must lie to the middle class and tell them what they want to hear. He adopted this strategy after the School of Frankfurt Marxists failed to overthrow our government in the early 1930s due to the strong middle-class coalition. Alinsky believed that once elected, Marxists could implement their policies and rewrite history. Intrinsically, if their agenda is to succeed, progressives must destroy America, her institutions, and constitution. However, when convenient, they wrap themselves in the American flag and the constitution to cloak their true intention. For example, Nancy Pelosi tries to shut down the First Amendment by citing hate speech, the Second Amendment by advocating gun control, and won't uphold her constitutional duties to protect our borders, but claims we need to impeach Trump to preserve our Constitution. The House Democrats claim they must impeach Attorney General Barr to preserve the Constitution. The truth is, they want to impeach Barr to cover up the origins of their phony Russian collusion scheme and gin up their base by keeping the debunked collusion scheme going to get reelected. Using Alinsky tactics, Pelosi calls for the party to move closer to the center of the political spectrum until after the election, when they will continue to implement their Marxist ideology. Beto O'Rourke and Christian Gillibrand claim they're not for open borders and are pro-America, yet they want to eliminate ICE and cut funding for border security. This will overwhelm our schools, welfare system, hospitals, law enforcement, destroy American taxpayers, our culture and country. Anything for power. Alinsky believes all history is changing and changeable, that people should ignore the wisdom of the past, and that the present is the first moment in history. That community organizers must be curious and irreverent, mocking and questioning our values and morals using critical theory. He believes, unlike the stale Frankfurt crowd, organizers need a sense of humor. Alinsky understands the left's need to fight on both the political and cultural level, and that the right is fighting only on the political level, that art, humor, song, theater, television, film, dance, etc. are all devices that can be used to influence the American people. Alinsky states the real action is in the enemy's reaction. As an example, the progressives fabricate the Russian collusion hoax. They hope that even if it failed, Trump would become upset, make a mistake, obstruct justice, and give them more targets to attack. To regain control and power, the progressives want to remove Trump from office. To effect this change, they use Saul Alinsky's rules for radical concepts. 
First, they use races as a symbol construction, a mark, sign, or word that represents an idea, object, or relationship and conveys other ideas and beliefs to strengthen their unity. Then they use the progressive organization and all its resources as the structure with which to operate. Once they're united behind a common symbol, racist, they find a common enemy, Trump, to unite against. This heightens awareness to the similarities its members share as well as what differentiates them from those outside of their organization. Finally, they use direct action. Congress, courts, media, Antifa to block and disrupt Trump's inauguration, speeches, and policies. The use of conflict allows for the goal of the group to be clearly defined. With an established external antagonist, Trump, the community goal is to defeat the enemy. Below are the rules of power tactics Alinsky describes in his book, Rules for Radicals. Study them carefully as they will be illustrated throughout the rest of the content. The Rules Number 1. Power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. 2. Never go outside the experience of your people. Number 3. Whenever possible, go outside the experience of the enemy. 4. Make the enemy live up to their own book of rules. 5. Ridicule is man's most potent weapon. 6. A good tactic is one that your people enjoy. 7. A tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag. 8. Keep the pressure on. 9. The threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. 10. The major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition. 11. If you push a negative hard and deep enough, it will break through into its counterside. 12. The price of a successful attack is a constructive alternative. And 13. Pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. The third fundamental progressive figure is Herbert Marcuse in Repressive Tolerance. Trump, in his first State of the Union speech, used the word America 32 times and suggested Americas have dreams too. Using Saul Alinsky tactics, the progressives, faking indignation, met this patriotism with ridicule and tolerance and disdain. The mere mention of this country's occupants, especially as legitimate stakeholders, is to be treated as a hate crime. To become a one-world order, intolerance, demonization, and repression of U.S. citizens is necessary to spur the takeover of the country. According to the progressive Marxists and their invaders, U.S. citizens are just trespassers, illegal immigrants themselves, and white citizens are intolerant racist scum lower than illegal immigrants, with no legitimate rights or claim to this country. This logic gives the invaders moral superiority and superior rights over our citizens. By delegitimizing our citizens and institutions, progressives strip our citizen rights, our voice, and any opposition to the takeover of our country. This strategy is known as repressive tolerance, a term coined by Herbert Marcuse in 1965. Repressive tolerance argues that tolerance is only good if non-dominating ideas can flourish, and that non-dominating ideas can only flourish if dominating ideas are shut down. In short, repressive tolerance states that only minorities have a right to an opinion because majority opinions are oppressive. This is a very convenient philosophy designed to shut down our First Amendment, the majority voice, and debate. The same First Amendment that gave the School of Frankfurt the right to express their ideas is now being used to shut down Americans' freedom of expression. 
There is another name for repressive tolerance, political correctness, and it's practiced by our schools, media, and Hollywood. As Mao Zedong argued in his essay, Where Do Correct Ideas Come From? Politically correct ideas come from progressive Marxism, and all incorrect ideas must be put out of their misery. Before moving to America, Marcuse was part of the 1930s Marxist Frankfurt School think tank in Germany, where he helped develop critical theory. Marcuse believed in deconstruction, that every thought or writing from the past must be destroyed to propagate Marxism. Repressive tolerance is designed to advance the progressive agenda by silencing us, having us question our identity, doubt our legitimacy, and create chaos by dividing us. Prior to World War II, the growing stigma towards communism in the U.S. hastened the U.S. Communist Party to change their name to Progressive, and repressive tolerance was later modernized and incorporated by Saul Alinsky. Or to shut up and be silent as the ruling class minority and their useful idiots have decided it's in their best interest to give away our country. Against the interest and consent of the majority, we are to be silent as they conduct their invasion, their occupation, or be beat down with labels such as racist, white privilege, oppressors, and other aspersions. If you continue to resist, you will be beat by Antifa, Black Lives Matter, or other communist revolutionary thugs. They call themselves progressives, but they're really regressors and oppressors. When you point to the continued failure of communism, China, Cuba, India, Soviet Union, Switzerland, Venezuela, among others, progressives repeat the same old mantra of other failed communist states. Real communism has never been tried. Progressive actions are neither tolerant nor inclusive. Once they have stolen and occupied our homeland, there will not be a place for you or your family in their new world order. The fourth 20th century fundamental figure is George Soros. George Soros and the global corporatists are seeking ways to end the populist agenda and use refugee policies to destabilize both America and Europe. Since 1954, world leaders in the top corporate elite, the Bilderberg Group, meet annually to discuss topics such as the economy. Last year's topics were why populism is growing and fake news, and this year's topic is globalization. No reporters are allowed at these meetings, they keep no minutes, and are sworn to secrecy. These global corporate elites will do anything necessary to stop the populist agenda, including spending billions to support Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and other violent destabilizing groups. Soros is a long-standing member of the Fabian Organization, which is dedicated to a one-world global order. He has a felony conviction for inside trading and is permanently banned from doing business in the EU, UK, China, Malaysia, and other countries because his hedge fund used currency manipulation to bankrupt and or destabilize their countries. In his late teens during World War II, Soros was a curator for the Nazis. He betrayed his own Jewish community by taking and selling their private possessions for the German Nazis. These crimes evidently weren't enough to stop the Democrats from selling out, giving this snake a home in America, and allowing him to continue leading their party. Soon after the Democrats lost the 2016 U.S. presidential election, Soros demanded a meeting. While Schumer, Pelosi, and the Democratic Party knelt at his feet, he ordered them to organize a resistance against the American voters. He then outlined how they were going to exploit his thug organizations and have Congress obstruct the will of the American people to regain the progressive ruling class power. Soros sponsors hundreds of politicians and organizations globally, all of which are meant to bring down and destabilize governments to further his Fabian one-world global order agenda.
It is well known he is financing the European immigrant invasion. In Blaze Television reports, he has given well over $1 million to the group People Without Borders, who are organizing the caravans that are invading the U.S. Emma Lozano, a self-professed Marxist, is the executive director of People Without Borders and the founder of the Center Without Borders, based in Chicago. Emma, along with her husband Walter Coleman, are co-pastors at the Lincoln United Memorial Church in Chicago. Marxist Aviro Alano was deported in 1977 for fraud but illegally re-entered the U.S. the same year. She was re-arrested again in 2002 but escaped deportation by seeking sanctuary in Lozano's church. Elviro founded an organization called Latino Families United which advocates for amnesty in sanctuaries. Along with Lozano and Coleman, Elvira became the face of the Sanctuary City movement and is the brainchild behind the Migrant and Caravan movement. It just so happens that Latino Families United and People Without Borders have the same address as Lozano's Lincoln United Memorial Church at 2176 West Division Street in Chicago, Illinois. Soros is also funding the Catholic Legal Immigration Network Incorporation, which is affiliated with these groups. Most disturbing, Judicial Watch reports that U.S. taxpayers are unwittingly aiding in their own demise by funding groups that are assisting Soros' caravan movements. Among others are mobile hospitals, children's services, UNICEF, and United Nations High Commissions of Refugees. Progressive judges and politicians allow these fraudulent activists to enter the U.S. to help them destroy and take over our country. In 1993, Soros founded and established the Open Society Institute, OSI, a private foundation aiming to shape public policy to promote democratic governance, human rights, and economic, legal, and social reform. To serve as president of OSI, Soros recruited Ari Nair, who previously co-founded the Radical Human Rights Watch and Students for Democratic Society SDS organizations, and served as the national director of the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, for eight years. Today, Soros is continuing his attempts to reshape our justice system and has channeled millions into local district attorney campaigns in over 17 states to elect social justice state's attorneys. His money has gone to state's attorney campaigns in Florida, Illinois, Louisiana, Mississippi, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Texas, as well as others. His goal is to reform our justice system into a more progressive social justice system with friendlier laws that reduce penalties on general crime, immigration, abolish bail, the death penalty, and other progressive policies. Chicago's Cook County suffered the latest repercussion of a Soros-elected state's attorney, Kim Fox, when she dismissed all charges in the Jesse Smollett case. Chicago police are pushing for her removal not only for the Smollett case, but because she continues to release dangerous criminals back onto the streets, including murderers. Below are just a few organizations sponsored by Soros and the global elites that advocate for U.S. open borders, the destabilization of our border security, and the destruction of America. ACLU, American Immigration Council, Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law, Detention Watch, Equal Voice, Immigration Advocates Network, National Council of La Raza, National Immigration Forum, National Immigration Law Center, Refugee and Immigration Center for Education and Legal Services, RACIS, Unidos U.S., and hundreds more. Soros gave $90 million to organize the Women's March, 
and a few months later gave them another $250 million to continue the Linda Sarsour uprising and organize the Me Too movement. Soros gave $400 million to the DNC during the Obama administration and hundreds of millions to Antifa, Black Bloc, Black Lives Matter, By Any Means Necessary, Center for American Progress, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics, Democracy 21, Media Matters, MoveOn.org, Southern Poverty Law Center, and countless other organizations dedicated to the overthrow of America and anyone who stands in their way. Soros sponsored Indivisible, the organization that shut down free speech by disrupting Republican town hall meetings that led to the 2018 midterm election. This group was started by a Democrat congressional staffer and his wife, Lee Greenberg. Greenberg was a Soros Justice Fellow who worked for a group called Humanity United, which was funded by Soros Open Society Foundation. Indivisible Secretary is from the National Immigration Law Center, an open borders organization also funded by Soros' Open Society Foundation, whose treasurer is from SEIU. One big happy family. Antifa is funded by George Soros and claims to battle far-right authoritarians. Their purpose, however, is to shut down any point of view that doesn't align with their communist views. They're part of a 2011 Occupy Wall Street and a 1990s globalization movement. Their roots originate in early 20th century Europe, Germany, and France. They have a communist ideal system and affiliations with the Middle East. They recruit from minority groups, the mentally ill, and communities with similar anti-government sentiments. Antifa is remarkably like Hitler's brown shirts, Mussolini's black shirts, radical Muslims, and other authoritarian groups. While Antifa members chant, no Trump, no wall, no USA at all, they attack and undermine our culture, history, constitution, founders, European heritage, and citizens. They planted chapters across the nation during the 2016 election to assault First Amendment rights, verbally and physically attack Trump supporters, and disrupt conservative rallies. They dress in black and cover their faces during their destructive, violent assaults. They destroyed Berkeley buildings, shut down free speech such as Breitbart and Calter Ben Shapiro, as well as others, assaulted right-wing activists in Portland, destroyed storefronts in Washington, D.C. on Inauguration Day, and much more. To invoke alt-left sentiment, they were deliberately brought to Charlottesville to engage in violence against the neo-Nazis and citizens protesting the destruction of Civil War monuments. Candace Owens, director of communication at Turning Point USA, who happens to be black, considers Antifa to be an upgraded KKK. Other Soros organizations responsible for the riots at Berkeley and NYU were Refuse Fascism and Global Justice. These groups also violated the Klan law by wearing masks, burning buildings, and causing a half million dollars in damage while stifling constitutional free speech without arrest. According to the Daily Caller, in his own Facebook page, the first Latino mayor of Berkeley, California, 32-year-old Jesse Araguen, is a member of George Soros' group by any means necessary, BAM. Like the progressives, BAM supports open borders, illegal immigrant rights, affirmative action for illegals, and illegal integration. While the above organizations rioted, burnt and destroyed public buildings and private property, violently assaulted Trump supporters and conservative speakers, Aragorn and his police chief, Andrew Greenwood, ordered stand-downs of their Berkeley police officers. This has been verified by several testimonials from police officers and individuals within Berkeley's police department. Projecting progressives ordered Antifa attacks, then claim Republicans are selling hate and division. 
Aragon and California's first Latino state's attorney general, Javier Becerra, have ties with La Raza, the race, a racist Mexican insurgent organization which is attempting to gain Latino control of America's southwest and political control of the entire country. Ariguin and Basara and other Latinos use these radical Mexican organizations for financial and political support to gain access to and or take over high government offices throughout the Southwest in our country. They're now advocating for the succession of California. Radical Mexicans believe in a myth called Aslan, that American took their land and they'll get it back when they become the majority through both legal and illegal immigration. The Elderman Institute recently found that 53% of Californians plan on leaving the state, 63% of which are millennials. Many Latinos now representing California have stated publicly that they're happy to see them go. These races' ethnocentric organizers and their political hacks are using Alinsky tactics to turn our cities and states into lawless, illegal immigrant-controlled sanctuaries while destroying our culture and constitutional liberties from within. While they're taking over our country, they're branding white Americans as racist, white supremacist, white privileged fascist oppressors, or whatever Kool-Aid they think they can get Americans to drink. As these organizations invade, they're calling for the extermination and or exile of white people from their own country. Media reports of these violent scenarios have become increasingly more frequent. Unfortunately, there are many pathetic Americans drinking their Kool-Aid and buying the guilt that they're selling, while they're being robbed of their country, heritage, culture, and constitutional liberties. There are hundreds of anti-American Latino organizations residing within the U.S., La Raza, LULAC, Maltoff, MAPA, and many others that demand dual citizenship with dual voting rights and allegiance to Mexico and the Mexican community. Soros and the progressives have aligned themselves with these anti-American organizations and have siphoned hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars to these invaders. Congressman Barney Frank alone gave La Raza $100 million of taxpayer money before leaving office. It's laughable that progressives pretend to be concerned about Russian collusion and influence. Militant Soros and Latino organizations are not the only anarchists that Americans have to face. Obama organizations are joining the Soros forces. United to Protect Democracy was conceived by former Obama White House administration lawyers. The group is headed by attorney Eon Basin, who previously worked for a global activist outfit financed by George Soros. It has been widely reported that top attorneys from the Obama administration, including Eric Holder, are dedicated to shutting down and sabotaging the Trump administration and presidency. The New York Post.com slash 2017 slash 02 slash 11, How Obama is Scheming to Sabotage Trump's Presidency, reported that Obama, just eight days before leaving office, ordered the NSA to release top secret information that was circulating within the incoming Trump administration to 16 other agencies to wreak havoc within the Trump administration. This information breach caused vital national security leaks anything to keep progressive ruling class power. When you combine George Soros's organizations with the Obama and Latino organizations, you have the emergence of what the media is now calling the shadow government. The only reason to organize these insurgencies is for a coup d'etat, possibly replacing our government with a Soros one-world global order, a strange mix of fascist Marxism. 
before turning us into another police state spied on by our own intelligence agency, such as a banana republic like Venezuela and other socialist totalitarian governments, we need to 1. Enforce the RICO Act to stop their gang-related fascist intimidation. 2. Arrest Soros and others who finance, organize, and incite riots and who plan insurrections and the violent overthrow of our government. And 3. Enforce our deportation laws. Unfortunately, most of our politicians are bought and paid for by Soros and the global corporate lobbyists, or they're in the process of becoming one of them. A few of the global corporate elites exploiting taxpayer-subsidized labor and backing the Obama-Soros Global Open Border activists are Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, Microsoft, big box stores, Wall Street, the national media, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Business Roundtable, religious organizations, and others. These are the money people who profit from the open borders at the expense of the American families and taxpayers, the factions of special interests that the progressives support, the elite corporatists whom the progressives claim to despise. These groups reflect the social Darwinian groups that united in 1859 America to exploit and oppress the working class. It's a foregone conclusion that groups supported by Soros, Obama, LaRaz, and others are advocating violent protest and open borders to take over our country and hasten in their new global order. Their agenda is not a secret. They're not hiding anything. Their objectives are on their website, Obama.org, Twitter at AOC, in the media, in their propaganda, and lectures. They're violent protesters and the millions of foreign nationals that they help pour into our country to join their ranks to oust and silence Americans can be witnessed every day on the news, in our streets, and at our borders. Many of their groups are well-coordinated internationally and can be seen on the streets in European and other cities advocating for the takeover of their countries. For example, immigrants that have invaded Belgium from the Republic of the Congo and other African countries are now participating in the Black Lives Matter movement, rioting, defacing historical monuments in Brussels, and demanding the takeover of their country. Many people poured into South Africa from the neighboring countries to participate in the overthrow of the South African government. These same scenarios are occurring in the UK, France, Germany, and throughout Europe. The progressive global corporate elites, the establishment, will do anything to maintain power, control, and gin up their base. Under their charade of egalitarianism, they send their minions to riot, burn, and destroy people's businesses and livelihoods. They destroy towns like Ferguson and universities like Berkeley in the name of tolerance and open-mindedness. They advocate for homelessness, drug abuse, open borders, policies that wreak havoc, weaken our society's fabric, subvert our culture, suck taxpayers' welfare benefits, maim and kill. They riot to shut down free speech, free markets, free and open civil society, the government, and then project their fascism and hate on conservatives and defenders of liberty by calling them fascists. Progressives had lowered the civil rights bar. Frederick Douglass led the abolitionist movement. Ida B. Wells fought lynch laws while her newspaper was destroyed. Harriet Tubman rescued over 70 slaves, and entrepreneur Booker T. Washington pulled thousands of blacks from poverty. These were all conservatives who uplifted the black community after escaping slavery. Rosa Parks suffered silently after sparking the civil rights movement. Muhammad Ali was stripped of his title fighting for equality. Jackie Robinson suffered while breaking the colored baseball barrier. And Martin Luther King just broke barriers. 1960s protesters could be justified. Our youth were slaughtered in what was felt to be an unjust war. Kaepernick has everything. Suffered nothing. 
yet self-indulges in his made-up causes. Today's radicals are rebels without a cause who find it necessary to constantly make things up. They project and reiterate lies that have been debunked many times to justify their destructive violence, chaos, and rebellion. Lies such as blacks are disproportionately singled out and killed by police. Hands up, don't shoot. Regurgitating Alinsky and repeat the lie strategy. The COVID-19 global pandemic arose during the writing of this paper, which gives us a perfect example of the strategies of these progressive founders in action. About five years ago, Bill Gates, a fanatical global progressive elite with a huge corporate stake in China, suggested that a viral pandemic could be worse than either a conventional or nuclear war. Gates then went on to give hundreds of millions of dollars to both the Center for Disease Control, CDC, and the National Institute of Health, NIH. Miraculously, after several failed attempts by the progressive ruling class elite to impeach our president and or destroy our economy to get their power back, we are now experiencing such a pandemic which emanated from China. Ironically, China has blamed this coronavirus outbreak on the Gates Foundation. In a recent German interview, Gates suggested that we need to wait for a vaccine before we can reopen our economy. On a TED Talks podcast, he said the economic lockdown was an environmental reprieve. Incredibly, the CDC and the NIH, both of which have received hundreds of millions of dollars from the Gates Foundation, are now instrumental in controlling the U.S. economic lockdown. Both the CDC and Anthony Fauci, director of the NIAID and Institute of the NIH, continue to display grossly exaggerated, inaccurate, negative models of the coronavirus, which are spreading panic and fear among the public, and they continually warn against reopening our economy. Gates, the CDC, and Fauci understand that the vaccine could take years to develop and that our economy only has months before it falls into an irreversible depression. Trump recently discontinued funding to the World Health Organization, WHO. Tedros Adhanom, before becoming WHO's president, covered up several of Ethiopia's cholera outbreaks that spread to neighboring countries, killing thousands. Now as WHO's president, Adhanom, covered up China's coronavirus outbreaks for months, claiming there was no human-to-human transmission, which allowed the coronavirus to turn into a worldwide pandemic that has killed hundreds of thousands, including thousands in the U.S. Evidently, Adenum's misdeeds did not bother Gates. After bashing Trump for cutting off WHO's funding, the Gates Foundation donated $250 million to the WHO. Now Nancy Pelosi and the progressives are forming a committee to stop Trump from investigating China and whose involvement in the spread of the coronavirus. Cover up anyone? In France, Raoul Didier, a renowned physician and microbiologist, treated 1,061 COVID-19 patients with hydroxychloroquine, HCQ, and azithromycin, AZ. So far, 98.7% of the patients have been completely cured, 91.7% within 10 days, and over half were cured in 4 to 5 days. Eight patients between 74 and 95 years old who were severely ill died from respiratory failure, not from cardiac toxicity. An earlier study reported on March 27th by the same Marseille team that involved 80 patients found 93% had been completely cured by day 8, with only one death occurring in a severely ill 84-year-old. The study concluded that the administration of HCQ plus AZ before COVID-19 complications occur is safe and associated with extremely low fatality rate in patients. In a letter to Governor Doug Ducey of Arizona, 
the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS, reported that treating 2,333 COVID-19 patients with hydroxychloroquine, HCQ, and chloroquine, CQ, with or without zinc or antibiotic azathomycin, resulted in 91.6% clinical improvement. Data was collected from China, France, South Korea, Algeria, and the U.S., There were 63 deaths reported, 52 of which were supposedly severely ill patients from the Veterans Administration. The VA Secretary, Robert Wilkie, however, claims the VA never participated in the study. AAPS states that other HCQ and CQ studies show a decrease in the number of days the patient is contagious, a reduced need for ventilators, and a shortened time to clinical recovery. AAPS also stated that peer review studies published from January through April 20, 2020, provided clear and convincing evidence that HCQ may be beneficial in treating COVID-19, especially when used early. Unfortunately, although it is perfectly legal to prescribe drugs for new indications not on the label, the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, has recommended that CQ and HCQ be used for COVID-19 treatment of only hospitalized patients in the setting of a clinical study if available. Clearly, this recommendation is intended to doom HCQ to failure. Progressive bureaucrats, states, counties, and cities are making it difficult for physicians to prescribe or for pharmacists to dispense these medications. As a letter to Governor Ducey notes, many nations, including Turkey and India, are protecting medical workers and contacts of infected persons by treating them with HCQ prophylactically. According to worldometers.info, deaths per million persons from COVID-19 as of April 27 are 167 in the U.S., 33 in Turkey, and 0.6 in India. After Morocco and Algeria began using HCQ, a sharp reduction in their COVID-19 fatality rate occurred. AAPS states vaccines and results of randomized double-blind control trials of new drugs are at best months away. But patients are dying now, while affordable, long-use drugs would be available except for government restrictions. Dr. Avetti Lozano, MD founder of Lozano's Medical Clinic in Dallas, Texas, in a progressive county stronghold, says 100% of her patients have made 100% recovery with HCQ, even the ones that had pneumonia and would have gone to the hospital. She says she's shocked at how quickly they recovered, some within 24 hours. She now claims she's getting patients from different counties and states because doctors will not prescribe HCQ out of fear of losing their license. She said she learned of HCQ from the president and wants him to keep spreading the word that it's saving lives and that Fauci is trying to silence him from speaking out. She said if the left would quit politicizing HCQ, America could be cured and reopen again safely. Lozano says that she is now being blocked by the state's pharmacy board, that the pharmacies are calling her patients and threatening to report her to the state to have her license removed. Joe Biden, when asked in an interview what he would do to fix the coronavirus situation, stated, We have to take care of the cure. That will make the problem worse no matter what. What was dismissed as a delusional moment might not have been a total slip-up. His handlers may have given him a bit of inside information before going on air, and in a moment of incoherency, he may have accidentally told the truth. It is obvious that states, counties, cities, and the media that are controlled by the progressive ruling class are suppressing the truth about HCQ to make the problem worse. 
They are threatening physicians and the progressive media coalition is spreading falsehood and misinformation about the drug. First they invent outright lies, then later use a debunked Lancet journal report. The progressives now claim HCQ, a drug with an impeccable safety record, which has been distributed to hundreds of millions around the world for the past 65 years, is suddenly killing people. The Lancet Journal and the New England Journal of Medicine have since retracted the study after it was discovered that the data used from Surgifier was developed by a science fiction writer and a part-time model and invent hostess. The Progressive Media Coalition has been caught lying to the public about Russian collusion, Flynn, Ukraine, FISA, the coronavirus, HCQ's life-saving capabilities, and everything else under the sun. Yet their lemmings keep coming back for more. Progressives do not care. They will burn down your town, destroy your livelihood, kill you and your loved ones. They want their power and control back. The worse they make it for you, the better for them. Then they will project their maliciousness on conservatives, capitalism, and free and open societies. Progressives are taking full advantage of this pandemic to advance their Marxist agenda by utilizing the strategies of the 20th century progressive founders. Calls for government-controlled behavior, economies, income, products, and means of production have been hearkened by the global elite's progressive politicians and leaders. Public calls have been made by Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Susan Rice, and other progressives to not let this coronavirus go to waste, to use it to implement their progressive policies. Senator Jim Claiborne, Democrat, South Carolina, said the pandemic gives the Democrats, quote, a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. To secure federal revenue, behavioral and political control, the exaggeration of the number of coronavirus deaths has been publicly endorsed by progressive politicians such as Como, de Blasio, Newsom, Whitman, and others. Many of the deaths blamed on the coronavirus were caused by influenza, stroke, heart attacks, cancer, respiratory, and other illnesses. Even with these exaggerated numbers, the number of coronavirus deaths are still far lower than a bad influenza season of 80,000 to 100,000 deaths. Yet government intervention was never required during bad influenza seasons. Instilling fear, the CDC and Fauci first claimed there would be between 1.5 and 2.5 million deaths. Then they reduced their claim to 150 to 250,000. Today, national coronavirus deaths are falling and are equivalent to the flu, even after including the publicly exaggerated deaths. Conservative states like Georgia, Florida, South Dakota, and others have reopened and their coronavirus numbers are declining. Hong Kong, which has the same population as New York City, never closed and currently has four deaths attributed to the coronavirus. New York City, however, continues with its strict lockdown policies and currently has 16,134 deaths. Tyrannical progressive governors, mayors, and county officials, however, refuse to let their state's businesses reopen and threaten retaliation. Many are trying to stall until August when they know the financial meltdown will be irreversible. They believe this will influence the election and permanently empower them to take full control over our behavior. According to the nonpartisan online survey, ZipApp.com, 88% of Americans believe that the progressives are using the coronavirus to remove Trump from office and regain power, not caring who gets hurt. When we ask to have our constitutional rights given back to us, progressives keep moving the goalpost. First, they did not want to overwhelm our medical system and said we needed to flatten the curve. 
Then we needed more testing, then contact tracing, and now a vaccine before we can have our freedoms back. Americans have flattened the curve to the point that hospitals are going out of business due to lack of patients. More people are dying from the fear of going to the hospital for treatment than from the coronavirus. Testing has uncovered, because of our mitigation, less people than normal have antibodies, and it has weakened our herd immunity. Progressive politicians refuse to open their schools even though the data now shows children ages 0 through 18 have less than .0001 of 1% chance of dying from the coronavirus. School closures have reduced children's immunizations by 66%, making them more vulnerable to disease and has deprived them of their education and nutrition, particularly for the poor and minorities. According to the New York City Health Department, 66% of coronavirus cases are contracted by people locked in their houses. Everything the progressive ruling class touches turns to ruin, yet they still demand more power and control. The progressive ruling class morons believe it's necessary to lock us in our homes and place us under their behavioral control for the sake of the environment and our own well-being. This is just another example of what life will be like under progressive tyranny. Exploiting the coronavirus is an example of the 20th century progressive founder strategy, a conscious effort by progressives ruling elite to help accelerate the collapse of our system, to bring down our country so they can usher in their elite brand of socialism.